So welcome everyone to another installment of the Pastors Cut podcast. This is Marissa Carter, Minister of Pastoral Care here at First Baptist, and Jeff Elkins is muted, but he's on the board with you as well. He's saying hello. And then there's you, our parasocial friend. So feel free to interject and converse as much as you like as we kind of have a one-sided discussion of the scripture passage for Sunday, September 4th, which is Jesus's cleansing of the temple courts in John chapter 2. The sermon on September 4th will bring an end to the teaching series, Good and Angry, and in it, Darren will be teaching uh, that just like Jesus, we cannot abide the status quo when it comes to our relationship with God. You'll hear Darren say repeatedly in his sermon that there is to be no more business as usual when it comes to the way we relate to God. So let's start by reading the passage. It's John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So over the course of this series, We've talked many times about situations when people in the Bible reacted rashly in their anger. We talked about Moses rashly hitting the rock that provided water for the thirsty people of Israel. Paul and Barnabas were swept up in anger as they disagreed over John Mark's place in their mission. And without thought, Saul reacted in violence towards David as David sought to soothe the king's troubled soul. But this is not that kind of anger. If you look back at verse 15, Jesus saw what was happening in the temple courts, and he stepped out of the frame. He took the time to fashion a whip of cords. His every action was well thought through, intentional, and deliberate. He fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah, the Psalms, and Zechariah, announcing that the Messiah had come. When Jesus overturned the tables and drove out the animals, there's absolutely nothing reckless or rash about his actions. He was not surprised by the money changer's presence, nor was this an impulsive reaction to what he witnessed. The anger he felt when he entered the temple was the same anger that motivated his very presence on earth. The cleansing of the temple is why he had come. So today, I'll talk about why Jesus did what he did the reason for his holy anger, and what he decided to do with that anger. So, why was Jesus angry? It could be that those selling the animals and changing coins were doing so in a way that corrupted the temple, but there's nothing in John's text that says they were cheating people or extorting people, that they were greedy or wicked. These were like the essential workers of the temple. They were providing a needed service, and without them, 
the temple wouldn't be able to work the way it was designed. And this was at Passover when historians say that between 100,000 to 250,000 Jewish pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem from all over the known world. Few would have traveled with their own livestock, and in order to purchase animals for sacrifice, they would need to exchange their foreign coins. Buying sheep, cattle, and doves were necessary in order to worship in the way God prescribed in the Torah. Animal sacrifice was an act of obedience to the law. It was a display of worship and adoration, and without temple worship and sacrifice, a right relationship with God could not be maintained. These doves and cattle weren't just noisy, messy livestock making a mess of God's house. They were a conduit to God's grace. In the book of Nehemiah, when the Babylonian exiles rebuilt the temple, before the foundations for the building were set, the altar was built. The need for sacrifice was primary and immediate. Sacrifice was everything. This was their access to God, and through God's justice and mercy, this was the system that he established in order for the people of God to be cleansed before him. Sacrifice made it possible to purify the land and the people so that God could rest amongst them. We were meant to live in peace together with God. In Eden, humanity was evicted from our intended home with him, and the existence of the temple complex and the system of repentance and animal sacrifice allowed Israel to be in his presence again in a very real and tangible way. The temple was like new Eden. It was home. And each time the temple was destroyed, it was like being evicted from the garden all over again. So it wasn't the act of selling and buying animals, of changing money, so that sacrifice would be accessible for people of all nations. These weren't the things that angered Jesus. It was anger at sin and the barriers that sin placed between God and his people that made those sacrifices necessary. It was anger at the fact that for most people who came to the temple, the sacrifices made led to no deeper relationship with God and held no transformative power over their lives. The anger of Jesus in the courtyard echoes the anger of God in Isaiah 1, where the Lord says, When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. These words from Isaiah are the crux of so many of Jesus' teachings to the religious people of his day. Without transformation, without aligning our hearts to that of God, learning his truth, and seeing people with his eyes, then what is even the point of sacrifice? What is the point of worship if we aren't truly seeking after God, but only going through the motions? Something had to change, and that change was Jesus. In his book, Simply Christian, N.T. Wright explains that the cleansing of the temple was not a protest of commercialization or even corruption, but a sign that the system of the temple was obsolete. Remember that in the book of John, this event happens right after the wedding at Cana. This was a new king of Israel arriving in the temple of God as so many godly kings had before in the nation's history, cleansing the temple and reorienting the people towards right worship of God. Jesus was here at the beginning of his ministry to proclaim that he had come to show people a new path to God. It was an assertion of his authority and a claim that all things once possible through the temple, atonement, righteousness, restoration, abiding and resting with God, all those things, that power now rested within Christ alone. The money changers and merchants set up shop within the court of the Gentiles, and this may not have been an everyday occurrence, 
but certainly during Passover, when demand for animals was the highest, necessity dictated that they had to set up somewhere, and Gentile worship was deemed expendable. But remember that the Jewish people were intended to be a blessing to all nations, that the presence of God rested amongst Israel so that they could, in turn, reflect that light onto the entire world. At some point, the light of God turned from a gift to be shared with abundant generosity into a gift to shelter and protect from the outside world. The Jerusalem temple was meant to be a beacon, a bright light to illuminate the world, but its stone walls became a place to store God's presence away. This was illustrated so clearly by the fact that the trappings of the sacrificial system had overrun the court of the Gentiles, preventing the Gentile God-fearers from being allowed to worship. It wasn't the way it was meant to be. Verses 16 and 17 state, To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the disciples are astounded by what's taking place, and they remember that the son of David will be consumed by zeal for God's house. This is from Psalm 69. They had no idea how true that statement was for Jesus. For him, it wasn't a zeal for the building itself that consumed him. It was a zeal for the home of God amongst humanity. It was a zeal for God's presence amongst all of us, and all that the temple represented, restored relationship between God and his people. Considering the links that Jesus went to restore that relationship from the incarnation itself, literally coming to live with us, to his sacrifice, becoming our new conduit to grace and relationship, saying that he had a zeal for God's house was an incredible, inconceivable understatement. The Jewish leaders responded to the temple's cleansing, not by being angry, which is a little bit surprising. Uh, They weren't angry about the destruction or the great inconvenience of Jesus's actions taking place right before Passover, but they just asked him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Because it was understood that the cleansing of the temple was a sign of the messianic king's arrival. Many of the prophetic Psalms call for a king to come, a Messiah who would purify the temple. Psalm 17 says that son of David would drive out corrupt religious leaders and cleanse Jerusalem. And even Jesus' words about the temple's destruction were not altogether unwelcome. The rabbis and teachers of the law had long hoped that the temple would be replaced. This temple, the one that they were standing in this day, was built by the evil Herod, and the one before that by Nehemiah and Ezra had been a rough and simple structure that paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. So it was understood that this temple was not God's ideal dwelling place, and they longed for a glorious final temple to be constructed, just as religious Jewish people do today. The absence of the temple, though, destruction without another temple to replace it, would be devastating to the people. It would mean the end of the people's connection with God and the end of his presence amongst them. Through Jesus' actions, this was like a new flood event, a destructive cleansing to return purity a clean slate where a new relationship between God and people could be built. Jesus was both the floodwaters and the rainbow of promise that a new day was not only possible, but it was here. A day when a temple, as we understood it, was no longer necessary. The walls of the temple were broken down on this day and the presence of God flooded the entire world. This was the fulfillment of the prophecy that ends the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah 14.21, the prophet states, Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, 
there will be no longer a merchant in the house of the Lord Almighty. Zechariah is prophesying that there will be a day when every pot used in every household will be just as holy as those within the Holy of Holies itself, when the boundaries of the temple will be eroded, like the temple curtain torn apart, and the holiness of God will ripple forth from the temple and pervade the entire world. In those days, temple sacrifice will no longer be necessary, and God's tabernacle will grow to include all of creation. Theologian Chris Bird calls this the democratization, excuse me, the democratization. <laughs> Let me try that again. Chris Bird calls it the democratization of sanctification. I knew I was going to mess that up. And on that day, there will be no longer a merchant in the house of the Lord. Jesus was fulfilling that prophecy in the temple courts that day. The day had come. Through Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, the temple was destroyed and rebuilt. Jesus is the new holy of holies, and his holiness, his holiness uh, permeates throughout creation, wherever he is and his ministry is taking place. The holiness, once only available in the temple, is accessible to all who believe in him. He has rebuilt the temple so that wherever we have access to Christ, we have direct access to the saving holiness of the Father. Now, our next sermon series will be titled, Amen, and it'll be focused on the instructions that Jesus gave about prayer, which was the source of both his intimacy with God the Father and his power for living. That series will begin September 11th, and will take us right up to the Advent season. So until we meet again next week, may God bless you and keep you and shine his face towards you. Amen. (laughs) 